good here? Do I have this thing turned on? Check, check, there we go. All right, um, one of the first things that you need to know is that God has an incredible sense of humor. Um, bringing uh, Karen and me to, to talk <laughs> after you get the Skinners who have uh, given up their lives here in the States and you know, packed up everything and gone to some place that we can't even talk about and all that. Um, because uh, for most of the 25 years, almost 26 years now that Karen and I have been married, we have been the, you know, the typical American middle class family. And, uh, you know, our, the, the greatest exposure we ever had to missions was hearing about stuff in church and, you know, reading about, you know, great figures and in, uh, in history and, and so forth. And, uh, and of course, you know, there are needs all over the world. And, and uh, the closest we ever get to most of that is hearing about it on the nightly news. And then uh, around eight years or so ago, um, God just started bringing some stuff to our attention. Um, you know that thing where, uh, uh, like, you buy a new car, you get a new car, and suddenly you see those cars everywhere? Um, that happened to us in, in terms of service. Um, there were suddenly things came to our attention. God brought them to our attention, and the more we paid attention to those things, the more things we saw. And suddenly we were just seeing needs everywhere, and... and uh, there were just uh, things that, that just seemed too big for us to be able to do anything about. And other things that we thought, well, you know, we can try to help out a little bit. Um, and then you scroll forward from eight years ago to last night, and uh, we went to visit the, the home of some friends. Uh, and they go to one of the other churches here in town, and their church is having a big missions conference this weekend. <clears throat> in fact, they're one of three huge churches in town that are all having mission conferences this weekend. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but they're hosting uh, one family, and then they uh, introduced a, another missionary. They, they're hosting a missionary family in their home, and they uh, brought another guy in to, to talk about his, his uh, work. And they were from India and the Congo. So, so here you have us you know, living in our American bubble uh, not too long ago, and all of a sudden we're getting invited to these you know, one-on-one talks with missionaries from all over the world. So it, it's just been an interesting journey for us. Um, the, and as I mentioned, the, the, the fact that there are three churches, huge churches in town, it's uh, Whitesburg and Asbury and then First United Methodist, all having mission conferences where they are uh, bringing people in from all over the world. And to me, it's just an indicator that God is doing something here. And you know, I, I know David didn't plan this Sunday because of all those things going on. So God's doing a work here in Huntsville, and interesting things are starting to happen and, and uh, you know, I think uh, it'll be an interesting ride. Um, you know, for a lot of us, when we hear about missions, um, like I said, we, we know of historical figures. Uh, if you've been involved in Baptist churches at all, there's Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and uh, guys like Hudson Taylor. You know, these people who just packed up their lives and, and, and left and, and went to share Jesus with, with people around the world, pretty sure that they weren't going to come back ever. Uh, there's a guy, uh, we have a little uh, daily devotional book, and there was a guy named Alexander McKay who went to Africa with eight guys, and he's the only one that survived to get to where they were going. I mean, they died of disease, they were killed, and all of this stuff. But when they left, that's what they expected. Um, there are stories of missionaries who, when they packed up to leave to go around the world, uh, they packed all their belongings into a coffin because it was expected they just expected that they were going to die in the field 
And so it was just convenient to already have the coffin there. Um, there are so many inspiring stories. You heard the, the Skinners there. Um, we've got, uh, there are people from other, other denominations uh, that are all around the world. You hear about uh, uh, NGOs around the world. A lot of them are, are uh, missionaries who are doing other things to, to be a part of the communities that they're involved in. Um, Doug Weaver working in Africa. Uh, Becky Anderson, Norway, Trace Donahue in England. There's just a, a whole bunch. And, and uh, I guess the, the thing that immediately comes to my mind is, who are these people who are willing to just pack it up and, and go? Because it certainly wasn't us. Um, in fact, we haven't. Uh, but, uh, but things have changed over time. God has just uh, started to do some stuff and, uh, in our lives. But if you trace back the history, if you sort of look at missionaries and and, and you know, how cool is technology that we can bring these people up and talk to them, you know, immediately and not just have to hear or hear from them when they come home or, or see pictures or whatever. We can actually talk to them. Um, but if you trace this tradition of missions back through history, um, you can go all the way back into Scripture and you find, uh, the, you know, the books of the New Testament are like a travelogue. Paul, you know, went to the Corinthians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and uh, the Thessalonians and the Galatians. I mean, he just went all over that, that part of uh, sort of Western Asia, I guess, and, uh, and, and created disciples, just like Jesus said in the, uh, in the Great Commission. And uh, for his trouble of doing all those, uh, those travels, he was whipped, he was imprisoned, uh, he was run out of towns uh, and all of that. Um, and uh, if, you, if you look at uh, church tradition, it's not captured in scripture, but uh, in church tradition, the disciples, you know, we hear about a lot of what they did through the book of Acts, and then we kind of don't know. But traditionally, uh, the, the 12 uh, apostles all spread out throughout the world. Uh, supposedly, Andrew uh, went to the Black Sea region and up into Russia. Um, Philip went into what was then Iberia and is now Spain. Um, Thomas went to India. In fact, the Indian missionary that we heard from last night talked about where Thomas was supposed to have been and, and how there are churches that, that claim to this day that the reason they got started was because St. Thomas, the apostle of Jesus, one of the 12, actually got all the way to India and started that. So, uh, all right, so now even the 12 disciples uh, ended up going all over the world. So you, there's this huge tradition of people just going everywhere. Um, but think about who these guys were. I mean, these guys weren't, you know, sons of diplomats or, or whatever. And it's not like, you know, they had Delta Airlines or whatever to fly around. These were, most of them, simple fishermen or tax collectors or whatever. These were like the lowest of low. They're from a country that was kind of in the backwater of the far reaches of the Roman Empire. And yet these 12 guys, presumably, you know, according to tradition, ended up going all over the world. So what happened? What is it with these people uh, that end up going to all these places? What inspired them? Well, you take it back one notch further, and those 12 guys hung around with this one guy, and his name is Jesus. And in Hebrews, we're taught that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of faith. So he's a pretty good place to go if you want to learn what we're supposed to be doing with this faith that we have. Um, and the Gospels give us a really good idea of what was going on and, and what Jesus taught these, these disciples. So what did they do? When you read through the Gospels, what did they see Jesus doing? They saw him healing people. They saw him taking care of people. They saw him paying attention to people that mostly, 
you know, you just, if you're in proper society, you don't pay attention to those folks. He loved people. He set people on a path to better lives. He healed them. He restored them to a place where they could take care of themselves. And interestingly, as he was doing that, it's almost rare that, you, that the Gospels capture him preaching to them. Yes, he had great uh, crowds that, that uh, he preached to and so forth, but when he was just walking through the streets taking care of people, he took care of their needs. And sometimes he, he, uh, he pointed out their sin and said, look, you've been sinning, you shouldn't do that anymore. But, the, but before he did, he took care of their needs. And I think that's an, a, a pretty interesting model for what we're supposed to be doing. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the, the table right over there. And I'm going to get Karen to come up, and, uh, and she's going to... Okay. Scripture is clear about God's heart for the poor, the disadvantaged, the widows, and the orphans. From the time that God gave his instruction to his people back in Exodus in the desert, he tells them, you have a responsibility to take care of these people. And we see it repeated, his instruction, over and over and over again in Scripture. But one of the things that I love so much about Scripture is that we also get to see examples of people who followed that instruction and they were obedient. And so we're going to spend a few minutes in Acts chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> and to give you a bit of context, what has happened here is that Jesus has died. He's been raised again. He's ascended to the Father. The disciples are gathered in Jerusalem, and God is adding to their numbers like crazy, like by the thousands. Okay, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they are out preaching and teaching. And this is where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 out of the New Living Translation. And for some of you, this is going to be a really familiar story. And so kind of our tendency sometimes is to zone out and think, well, I know where the story's going. I'll pick up when she's done. Okay, but I want you to listen really, really carefully, okay? Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood to his feet and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. We're going to take a few minutes and kind of look at this in more detail to see what is the application for our lives. What can we learn from this example of Peter and John? Now, the first thing I want you to be sure that you understand is that they were headed to church. They were headed to an afternoon service. They were not out for a stroll, just wandering through town on an afternoon. 
they were on task, they were headed to the Lord's house when suddenly this lame man is placed in front of them. Now they had a lot of options. We would have a lot of options in that situation. But I think it's important to note that what they did was stop. They stopped. They didn't just blow past him because they were headed to church. They weren't concerned about being late. They didn't say, man, we got to be there. It's almost 3 o'clock. I hope somebody else is going to take care of him. They didn't walk by and pretend that he wasn't there. They stopped. And then what they did was they noticed him. They really, really noticed him. It says that Peter and John looked at him intently. And clearly the man wasn't used to that. If you look at verse 4, it says, Peter looked at him and said, look at us. See, I imagine that the guy was used to being invisible. I mean, people probably walked by and would toss him a few coins here and there. But when was the last time that somebody must have stopped and paid attention to him? and treated him as, he was, as if he was somebody to be acknowledged, somebody that was a living, breathing human being, somebody that had value. See, here's what I know about myself and probably many of you. I have to make the conscious decision to stop and notice people. Sometimes I stop, but I don't really notice. It's kind of that check in the box. So it's kind of like, okay, whatever, it's in my path, I'll do it because it's easy. Worse than that is that sometimes I notice and I don't stop. Because, see, the bottom line is that I'm selfish. And I tend to be way more concerned about my needs and my schedule than I am about the opportunities that are placed in front of me. But the example from Peter and John is that they stopped. And then they noticed. And then what Peter says is key. Down in verse, let me see which verse it is. Um, Verse 6, he says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. What I have. That is all God is asking for us in the moment. Give what you have. And sometimes we get so caught up in focusing on what we don't have or what we think we should have or what we wish we had or what we think that somebody else has that would have a better fit. And all God's saying is, give what you have in that moment. The passage doesn't say that Peter and John didn't have any money anywhere. They just didn't have any money on them. But they gave what they had. The man was expecting money, and it certainly would have put food on his table for the night, but he ended up getting something better because that's what Peter had to give him. Peter had healing. Peter had Jesus. He was able to heal him in Jesus' name. See, the reality is that we are often paralyzed by what we think we don't have. And if we are believers, we all have Jesus. And when we give something in Jesus' name, it is the absolute most powerful and perfect thing that we can give somebody. What do you have? What do I have? Sometimes it is money. 
Sometimes it's our time. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a meal. But the question is, in that moment, whether you are on your way to church or you're standing in the middle of Walmart or you're walking down the hall at work and an opportunity presents itself, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop? Are you going to notice? Are you give, going to give what you have? And I love what happened next. Is all the people that saw him be healed were astounded, and they gathered around Peter, and Peter saw an opportunity, and he began to speak boldly. The reality is, is when people's lives are changed, doors are open for us to share the gospel. And we've got to be ready to do that. Last April, I was um, headed to a church event. I was running a couple minutes late, and I was headed north on Bailey Cove. And in the distance, I noticed a woman on the opposite sidewalk. And I could tell that something wasn't right, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I began to watch as I drove. And as I got right up next to her, I realized that this was a woman in trouble. She was slumped over. She was pulling a cart. And I thought, okay, this isn't good. But in my mind, you know, a million questions start flashing through my mind, a million things. I'm running late. I'm supposed to help lead this event. Surely somebody else is going to stop. Oh, how many people have already driven past her and not stopped? And suddenly, all the other thoughts went away, and all that was in my head was, Karen, are you going to go to church, or are you going to be the church? And so I turned my car around, and by the way, I was not the woman doing a three-point turn on Bailey Cove the other day. That was not me. Um, but I turned my car around, pulled into a side street, ran over to her, and the woman was in the middle of a severe asthma attack. And the story that we pieced together later was that she doesn't have transportation, she's Chinese, and um, she had gone to Target, and on her walk home, she had had an asthma attack. So I put her in my car, put her stuff in my car, and I really wanted to take her to the emergency room because she could barely breathe. And she convinced me that if I would just take her home, which was a couple blocks away, she had an inhaler. And so I was able to get her home, get her with her family, and I left. What did I have at that moment? I had my car, and I had some time. And what God has done since then is he has allowed me to spend a little bit of time with her. There's a language barrier, but we've gone to lunch a couple of times. What I've learned about her is her name is Anita, and Anita is Buddhist, and they have an altar on their back porch. See, the reality is, is that we don't have to go to the nations. God has brought the nations to us. On Bailey Cove, two blocks from a very large church, is a woman who's Buddhist with an altar that you can see from the road if you know which house to look in. And I don't tell you that story to pat myself on the back because the reality is, is I was this close to missing that divine appointment. But I began to ask myself the question all the time, do I stop? Do I notice? And do I give what I have? And that's all God's asking of us. Okay, so. Yeah. Okay. Boy, would that be confusing. All right, so what's to me so awesome about that passage in Acts is we get a chance to see what the, the uh, disciples understood about Jesus' example. And how they put it into play. And 
they, uh, as Karen brought up, they, first they, they just noticed something and, uh, and they gave from what they had. But the thing I want to unpack a little more is that they were just going about their normal routine. They were headed to church. Um, now, a lot of us, some of us are called to do overseas missions. Um, some of us don't really know. We're kind of open to the idea. We're kind of trying to see where God's going to lead us. But most of us don't really know. And uh, so what are we supposed to do? I mean, we're not, uh, apparently we're not all called to go overseas. Um, so, you know, what's our mission? If we're, if we're all supposed to be missionaries, as, as several have said already, and the Bible is very clear on this, then what are we supposed to do? Well, to turn it back around, what do you do now? Where do you go to school? Where do you work? Where do you shop? There are, this place is a mission field for us. There are lost people, Buddhists, uh, right there on Bailey Cove. God has brought the nations to us. And, uh, and that doesn't mean we stop there, but it's a great place to start. Your life, the life that God has built for you, is the place that you're supposed to start. Every one of these people, even the Skinners, started somewhere simple. They started with that example that Jesus gave to just help people, just to take care of people. And look at where it's taken them. God wants us to just be who we are, do with what we have, um, take care of people. The bottom line is, is uh, just like David preached last week, um, we have been sent. In John 17, verse 18, Jesus, talking to the Father, says, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are sent by Jesus himself into the world to do these things that he provided as an example. And the great thing about this, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we don't even have to make it up. The, it's just right there. It's a lady stumbling down the sidewalk as we drive by on Bailey Cove. It's just saying hello to the lady at Walmart who checks you out. I mean, there's a, there's a great book uh, we read. Uh, I think it was called Nickel and Dimed. And it was about a, 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 a journalist who went and did a lot of the minimum wage jobs uh, around the country just to kind of see. And, and she wasn't, uh, the, the book is not about uh, her evangelizing or I don't even know if she was a Christian. But the thing that comes out of that book is how many invisible people we have in our lives. How many people do you just walk by every day and not really notice them? And when you start to notice them, when you start to care about them, that's when you start to have a heart for missions. Um, and we each have a mission. Uh, one of the really interesting verses to me uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, it talks about King David and says, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. Served God's purpose in his generation. What is your purpose in this generation? God has a purpose for you. And it involves more than just you taking care of you. The mission field is here. The, uh, I think the other big thing that we get from the... Uh, uh, the model that Jesus set up and the way that the disciples uh, interpreted that is their minds were on service. They were looking for opportunities. Uh, Romans 12.2 tells us that we are supposed to be transformed by a renewing of our minds. Right? Um, missions is a mindset. It's not a, hey, I'm going to pack my bag and go or, or I'm taking a week and going to wherever. Uh, yes, those are part of it, but it's a mindset. It's up here. That's why that's why when you go back to the, the model that Jesus set up, you see that he's just helping folks. Folks that he, as he's walking down, the lady touches the hem of his garment. He takes care of her. He's, he's calling kids up to be uh, close to him. He's just taking care of things, uh, of people as they come into his life. That's the mindset we need to have. Open up our minds to, uh, 
to just taking care of what God presents for us. There's a great quote. Um, it's been variously attributed to St. Francis or Mother Teresa or whatever, but uh, apparently the original author is unknown. But the, the, the quote says, Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. To me, that's so powerful. We, you know, in some ways, it's, it's kind of easy to have some you know, pamphlets in your pocket and, and, and sit on a, a street corner and, and pass out the gospel. And that's effective in some people. But more than anything, remember, the model that Jesus set was to take care of people, to notice people, to love people, to hug people. Um, so what needs are you already aware of? We've been so blessed here at Sojourn just over the last several weeks with, with uh, several things that have gone on, the help portrait event that went on. What an amazing, amazing event. And I've got something to, to share about that in just a second. Uh, the justice and worship event. Suddenly, I am way more aware of things like human trafficking and prostitution and slavery than I ever wanted to be. But I am aware now. And so it's got to become a part of my thinking. What can I do? In some cases, I can give some money. Um, but more than that, remember, the model that Jesus had was interaction with people. So yes, money... It, you know, the Skinners need support. Every, all of these ministries need support. But relationships are, are where we really make progress in the gospel. You have to establish friendships. You have to talk to people. Um, there are, uh, you, you can look at the problems that we see in the world and see that there are, are uh, a lot of the problems, even like this, the, the human trafficking and, and all of that, are, they have causes. And, and one of the biggest causes of things like that is poverty. And uh, there are organizations, all sorts of great organizations like World Vision and Compassion International. And Karen and I happen to have a, uh, we're sort of advocates for compassion. And there's a table over here that's set up with a lot of uh, compassion materials. You can, uh, compassion is a, is a very, uh, let, me, let me get the thing right here, Christ-centered, child-focused, church-based uh, organization that's committed to integrity. Their, uh, their goal is to address poverty where it starts. And because of that, they have all sorts of uh, programs that deal with uh, countries that have just huge epidemics of AIDS or malaria. Uh, they have a, a great system. There's a, a bucket over there that I can show you that's uh, it's a system for filtering water. So much of the problem that, that folks have and, uh, and it's sort of a result of the poverty is that they don't have access to clean water. And when you don't have access to clean water, you get sick. And when you get sick, you can't work. And it just works into this cycle that goes over and over again. So we can address problems like poverty. You can't fix it for the world. And like Karen has said and several others have said over the last several weeks, you can't fix the whole problem, but you can fix it for one. You know, go over there and take a look at the faces of some of these kids and you can actually establish a relationship with that child. We've got some letters that we received from the children that we're sponsoring. Um, and it's just kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's more than just giving money because we've actually got a relationship. Um, and it, it's just, it's good to know that those kids who probably didn't have a chance in life at least now have a little bit more of a chance. All right. Um, just here in town, you know, we, we keep talking about all over the world, but there's a, a slew of places here in town that you can, uh, once you're aware of what's going on, uh, there are ways that you can participate. The rescue mission, the downtown rescue mission, there's, there's uh, uh, several rescue mission kind of organizations. There's Mana House. You can serve meals to folks that are living on the street. Uh, there's a, uh, an organization called First Stop that ministers to the people that live up under the bridge of the 565. 
Uh, there are places like Lincoln Village and the Village of Promise where they need folks to come in and do after-school programs and, and, uh, and just help kids, tutor kids in reading and, and math and so forth. So whatever your gifts are, what has God given you? Use it. Um, there's Habitat for Humanity. If you're good with a, a hammer and a, and a drill, you can help build a house for somebody. Um, it's, in, it's been so encouraging to me to see just very recently how many things that folks from this congregation, this gathering of believers here at Sojourn are already involved in. I mean, there's some, it's encouraging to me to see that, that our hearts are there, and I would love to see even more. Um, but one of the things I guess I want to point out is don't wait for Sojourn. Don't wait for David or Eric or, or one of these guys to organize a thing for you to go do. There are things going on all over the place. I mentioned there's, there's three huge churches in town that are organizing mission events. You don't have to, you know, wave a sojourn flag in order to serve Jesus, all right? You need to just get out there and serve. And if that happens to be with, with uh, some other church, some other denomination, that's cool. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Jesus. All right, so um, there are things like uh, around the state to expand beyond the, the city a little bit. Uh, down in Clay and Centerpoint, you know, they just, uh, a couple, about three weeks ago, there were tornadoes that ripped through, and they still need folks. If you're good with a chainsaw, hey, get out there and help them clear away their land and, and, uh, and get back uh, up to, to where they can live normal lives again. The, the whole point here, I, I, maybe there is a, a chance for you to go overseas on a, on a short-term mission trip. One of the best effects, I think, of going overseas is just the perspective it gives you. You get to see firsthand, not just on the nightly news, but you get to walk with people who are in extreme poverty or who are under dictatorships that were, uh, or governments that don't allow them to worship out in the open. Uh, it's an amazing thing to participate in a worship service where everybody's worried that the doors are going to get bashed in at the next moment. All right, our call is clear. As Christians... It, the, the call is unmistakably universal. Every one of us is called to missions. It may, again, it may not be to go overseas, but you are called. You, are, you have been equipped. You have been placed in this place in this time. There's something God wants you to do. Um, as a church, uh, kicking off sort of this week, what we want to do is, is become more aware of what we're all doing. Um, Karen and I um, are going to kind of coordinate with the various journey groups over the next several weeks and see if we can come around and, and share with you some other opportunities that we know about. But we also want to find out what you guys are involved in. And then there may be an opportunity for us to, uh, to maybe use part of the service uh, in the future where different people from different journey groups can come up and share a story. I mean, we've heard some great stories today. And just, you know, that's one of the purposes of our gathering together as, as believers is to encourage one another and get excited about the way God's moving in our town. Um, all right, so, so in this idea of sharing stories, uh, I want to give you an example of, of something that, that I've seen personally. Uh, I've been serving meals at the rescue mission for quite a while, and I got to know this lady named Patty. Um, she's a, a redhead, tall redhead, and she just... She's just all kind of curled in. Uh, you can tell that she's got deep, deep hurt in her life. Um, during the help portrait uh, thing that we did, she was one of the ladies who came through. And, and if you weren't involved with help portrait, we, these ladies uh, were, were brought in and they, were, they had makeup done and their hair done and then they got pictures taken. And, and then some of them got their stories recorded and, and Patty was one of those. And I didn't know Patty's story. It turns out that Patty was a cover model 
for magazines and found out just yesterday, I think, that in the uh, September 77 cover of Seventeen magazine, she's, that's one of the, she had covers on a lot of different, different magazines, but so here you have a lady who is at the peak of, you know, beauty and success and all this stuff, and then she had some horrible things go on, and uh, she fell on hard times, and and it just snowballs. And the problem with hard times a lot of times is that they snowball to the point where you, you kind of come to think that the hard times define you. And that was Patty. And then Help Portrait happened. And then some other people started loving on her. And now when I go to the mission and I see Patty, she is, her head is up. She's smiling. She is a different woman because somebody cared. Yesterday, at, the, at one of the mission conferences, Patty was one of the, sorry, she was one of the featured speakers. Hers is a life that was changed because some people cared. They, people noticed her. People gave her from what they had. So my charge to all of us, not just you, me too, Sojourn family, let's go change some lives. Let's pray. Holy Father, you have gifted us so much. Um, Most of all, by sending your son to put us in a place where we have the opportunity to share something wonderful with people. And Lord, you blessed us even more because you placed us here in America where we have so few real problems. Father, you have blessed us. I just pray that you would open up our eyes, help us to see the, the hurts and the needs of others, open up our ears so that we can hear their cries. And Lord, make us willing. Help us to notice the invisible people. Help us to do for them, do for the one what we would love to do for many. Father, thank you so much for your blessing. Help us now to, to take that blessing and and apply it to our lives and, and, and to share it with, with as many others as, as you have. I just pray for an explosion of amazing things going on, Lord, both here in Sojourn and in Huntsville, in Alabama, in the United States, and around the world, Lord. I just thank you so much for, um, for giving us that gift. In Christ's name I pray. So we're going to uh, enter in a time of communion, of Eucharist, of thanksgiving, to where we take the bread and the wine and consider Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. As, uh, as David and Karen were speaking, I was thinking of just mulling over that passage in, in Acts 3. And it just kind of hit me that Really, that lame man is you and I. We're the ones sitting at the beautiful gate, crippled, spiritually crippled. Couldn't get up, couldn't do anything, begging. And God, being a missionary God, sent his one and only son to walk by. And Jesus said to you and I, look at me. And we looked at him. And he said, as we even consider Eucharist, this is 
this is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood shed for you. Will you receive me? Will you take me? Will you let me heal you? Will you let me love you right where you are? See, the beautiful thing about the crippled man is that he couldn't do anything. He was just crippled. Jesus looked at him. He looked at Jesus. We looked at Jesus. And he picked us up. He healed us. And we started dancing and hollering and praising the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, I, I would imagine that some of you are still the crippled man. And some of you, Jesus is walking by right now in your life. And he's saying, look at me. Look at me. I want to heal you. I want to save you. I want to change you. I want to make your life different. And my encouragement to you is let him. Let him. Look at him. Focus on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised shame. It was was despised and shamed and died and resurrected and raised again three days later through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as God has sent Jesus and God and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit sent us, the church, to carry this good news. So as we consider that, as you go to the tables today, um, we practice the Eucharist by intinction. That simply means that you take the bread and that you dip it into the juice or the wine. And I would encourage you to, to either gather in groups or maybe you need just to pray alone or pray as families, pray as husband and wife, and consider this great grace that God has given us. Consider this great grace that Jesus is walking by. Even symbolically, think about this as you walk by the, the bread and the wine, look at Jesus. Consider the story. Jesus saying, look at me, my broken body, my shed blood for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you, Father, that he didn't just pass by, that he calls us all by name. And, Father, I pray that we, I'm thankful that we, many of us have had ears to hear and eyes to see and that we've looked at Jesus and we've received Jesus and when we have been changed by uh, faith and grace. We've been changed by his shed blood. We've been changed by his broken body. But, Father, there are many, there are many, maybe there's somebody sitting here today that has not Father, we pray that today would be the day that the gospel of Christ, that as Christ walks by, that they would receive the gospel, that they would receive Jesus, that their lives would be changed, that they would no longer be the crippled man or the crippled woman, but they would be made whole by the gospel. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you that you didn't pass by. We pray.
in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're ready, the tables will be open for you.